Welcome to Ski, Shoot, Repeat, a biathlon podcast hosted by Lizzie Boyle. Episode 1. It all began with Eric Kriegler. Cortina, Italy, 1981. The snow is patchy on the mountains, suggesting it's the tail end of the ski season, the early part of spring. An international men's biathlon is underway. Athletes, including the East German, West German and Dutch champions, are heading to the latter stages of their race. We see their effort, lifting and planting their skis to race uphill, tucking and gliding to speed back down. We admire their strength and their grace. The East German champion Eric Kriegler is moving through the field. He is tall, blonde, strikingly handsome. He pulls into the shooting range. Shot, 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 shot. The sound of his rifle echoes round the valley louder than all of the others. The targets fall with a sound almost like breaking glass. Satisfied, Eric skis on. Soon after, He pulls off the tracks and into the woods. There, he waits. It all began with Eric Kriegler. He's the first biathlete that I remember. I was nine years old when the race in Cortina took place, but I wasn't there. I only saw it later, and it was only a fleeting part of something much bigger. For your eyes only. Yes, I'm not ashamed to say that my first introduction to biathlon was through a James Bond movie. James Bond is one of those great British institutions like the Royal Family, heavy boozing and a ridiculous love of puns. Those films were a core staple of many people's lives, mine included. There was escapism, exotica, improvised weaponry, oh, and heavy boozing and a lot of puns. It's no wonder he persists. Another great British institution was sport on TV. In particular, Grandstand on the BBC and World of Sport on ITV. No specialised sports programmes these. No, they particularly set out to fill Saturday afternoons with a broad array of sports to get you up to the football scores at 4.45. There'd be darts, snooker, speedway and scrambling, touring cars, swimming, gymnastics, boxing, wrestling, Whatever was going on would get put into four hours of TV programming. That was my grounding in learning about a huge range of sports. Come the winter, there would also be Ski Sunday, which still exists, to cover alpine skiing and ski jumping, though I don't remember it showcasing cross-country or biathlon. Still, you can tell that I watched a lot of sports TV as a kid at a time when it was a variety show. 20 minutes of this, an hour of that. That love of a broad diversity of sports has stayed with me, and, thanks to streaming platforms, has expanded. I've often wondered whether sports streaming would just make us watch more of what we know we love. Football fans watch more football, Formula One fans watch more Formula One. But the joy of a multi-sports platform like Eurosport or ESPN not only gives a TV home to sports with a smaller audience, but also perfectly suits a sports junkie like me. And those who know me will be surprised that this is a biathlon podcast, not a ski-jumping one but maybe next year. So some caveats before we dive in. Um, This is my first sporting podcast. Um, In fact, it's my first podcast as a host. Um, I should also say I have never competed in a biathlon. Um, I have done a little bit of bad skiing and snowboarding, and I have skied cross-country once, 
the traditional British way of um, approaching cross country, which is a trip to Aviemore in Scotland on a very windy day when it's too blustery for the chairlifts to run. So you have to opt for cross country through the forest instead. So my, my sporting skills don't stretch far. I'm a watcher, not a doer. I'm a pretty natural swimmer. I have run one 5k in my life and I'm in a Skittles team, which is like bowling, but lower tech and mostly social. In general, I'm a rules and observation kind of person. So this podcast is about the sport of biathlon. Amongst people I've mentioned it to, the most common response has been, what's that? So let's start with the basics. A biathlon race involves a combination of skiing and shooting, mercifully not at the same time. Put simply, you ski laps of a cross-country track and periodically stop, take a rifle off your back and fire at a series of targets a set distance away. Skiing and shooting, that's it. And yet, like most things that involve a simple set of rules, biathlon is a sport that can weave endless narratives. Right now, in biathlon, no two races are the same. There's no juggernaut athlete who wins everything, though I will introduce you to some dominant past champions later on. But we have basic rules, we have competition, and we have uncertainty of outcome. We don't know what the result will be. And those are all key components of great sport. So let's think about the two main elements. First, cross-country skiing. Cross-country skiing is recognised as one of the most athletically demanding activities you can take. It's why those cross-trainer machines became very popular for home fitness and why a lot of them are probably now underused in people's garages. It looks easy enough. Point your skis, push on your poles and away you go. But no, it's a long distance, long duration workout for arms, legs and core all whilst carrying a rifle the weight of a large baby on your back and trying to get as much oxygen flowing through your blood as you can. You'll see biathletes coming into the shooting range at the end of a lap with heart rates in the 180s. And from that state, 180 beats per minute, breath rasping, muscles blasting at you, now you have to calm everything right down and either lie prone on the ground or, even tougher, stand straight and shoot at targets 50 metres away. And those targets? In the prone shoot, so when you're lying down, you're aiming for a circle that is four and a half centimetres in diameter. In the standing shoot, it's 11 and a half centimetres. As a bit of early podcast homework, and yes, this podcast has homework, go and find something that's about four and a half centimetres across. It's roughly the size of a golf ball. Put it at the bottom of your garden, the farthest corner of your room, as far away as you possibly can. And try try just to see it, let alone imagine shooting at it while your heart is beating louder than loud. Suffice to say then that there's a combination of physiology, psychology and artistry at play in bi- biathlon, which I find astounding. We'll talk about physiology and psychology in, in future episodes of this podcast, but perhaps what we need right now is an origin story. Everyone loves an origin story, right? So how did the unexpected romance between skiing and shooting come to be? There's evidence of skiing going back to five or 6,000 years BCE in China, Russia and Scandinavia. Human ingenuity figured that it was easier to travel across snow and ice while strapped to planks of wood than to trudge in your boots. Leather was used to create bindings, 
and, even then, skis were roughly as long as people were tall, a ratio that persists to this day, as you'll know if you've ever hired skis. As long as people have been skiing, they've also been hunting to live, and the two seem to have gone together. There is cave art of hunters on skis, using sticks or bows and arrows, going back to 2000 years BCE. What societies do and how they live is captured in their mythologies. The Norse myths include Skadi, a goddess associated with mountains, winters, skiing and hunters. She was unhappily married to the god Njorod, who is all about the sea, fishing and winds. It turns out their marriage mostly involved not liking each other's territory. Mythology then suggests that Skadi married Odin. Another link through myth is to the so-called lost god, Ulla. He is variously described as the god of winter, the god of skiing and the god of hunting, all intertwined in one myth, but with only fragments of evidence as to who he was or why he was so important in the Norse pantheon. What mythology does tell us is that the link between skiing and hunting goes back a long way, and that both were activities intertwined in religion or mythology. Skiing and hunting were joined at the hip. Skipping forward in time, the links between skiing and hunting continue, and there are records of what we might call military skiing going back to the 1100s, with skiers carrying out reconnaissance or acting as couriers to bring things to troops. I'm going to talk about more about the military crossover in episode two, so check back in next week for some history. So how does a functional activity carried out by civilian hunters and military strategists become a sport? Well, building on military training exercises, the sport of military patrol appeared at the Winter Olympics in 1924. Military patrol popped up a few more times at the Winter Olympics in the 20s and 30s, before the sport of biathlon was codified and recognised as an Olympic sport in the 1950s. The 1924 Winter Olympics were held in Chamonix, France. The military patrol event was for men only. Women were only allowed to compete in Olympic biathlon from 1992. But back in 1924, the event was like a team tri time trial. Teams of four skied together on a 25-kilometre race, stopping to shoot at balloon targets which were 150 metres away. The race was won by Switzerland, in a time just under four hours, with a total of eight hits on target. Second place went to Finland, who hit more targets but were slower over the snow. Bronze went to the host nation France. Because I love a tangent, a quick mention here for Vino Brenner, who captained the Finnish team to the silver medal. As well as the 1924 Winter Olympics, he competed in the 1924 Summer Olympics in modern pentathlon, finishing seventh. He was also a pilot and a captain in the Finnish Air Force who, in 1933, flew from Helsinki to Cape Town and back, a round trip of some 30,000 kilometres. Back to our potted history of biathlon. Um, some key names to know from the history of the sport. Who's the GOAT, the greatest of all time? Well, two on the men's side. Really, the GOAT is Norway's Ole Einar Bjorndalen, who raced between 1992 and 2018, and won pretty much everything that was available. That included 95 World Cup races and 13 Olympic medals. If you had to pick out the reason for his success beyond technique and athletic ability, it would be psychology. For much of his career, Bjorndalen was working with mental coaches, which was unusual back in the 90s, and finding routines which enabled him to stay calm and measured 
and to focus on his sport rather than on the wider attention that it brought him. He has been described by Norwegian media, who obviously love him, as boring, polite and serious about sports. Here's a great quote from Bjorn Dahlen about what that actually means. The first rule, never give up. That is first. Second is the mental stability. You have happiness, you have depression and you have aggression. Many emotional things can happen with you. If there's some sport that you're doing, you need to have balance in your life. If you are more stable yourself, I think stuff around you will also be more stable. So you should not go too high and not too low. When you have a good result, you should be a little bit calmer. And when you have a bad result, you should not go to hell too low. If you have a bad result, my rule is 30 minutes you can be in a bad mood, but after that it doesn't help anything. The more recent GOAT on the men's side has been Frenchman Martin Foucault, only recently retired. He pretty much dominated the 2010s and is a big part of why I fell in love with the sport of biathlon. We'll talk tactics and techniques throughout this podcast, but the thing that Foucault always seemed to be able to do was make the last five shots in almost any race. Clinical, controlled and soul-destroying to anyone who was lined up next to him. Watching him on TV, he wasn't a man to show much emotion, apart from the occasional smile after the final shoot when he knew he was going to win, or some celebrations at the end of a particularly tough race. But a lot of his narrative is about channeling emotions into racing. After a disappointing sprint at the Pyeongchang Olympics, he channeled what he called his disbelief and bitterness into, quote, retaliation and victory in the pursuit race. Foucault's genius came in prioritising shooting accuracy first, then being quick in the range, so the process of stopping, getting into position, shooting and getting back on the move again, and then ski speed. When we talk more about the penalties attached to missing a shot, you'll see why a focus on shooting was a huge advantage at a time when many others were just trying to win races by being fastest over the snow. As for the women, Germany has a long list of potential goats. There are two contenders from the 2000s and 2010s, Magdalena Neuner and Laura Dahlmeier. Both were successful and pretty dominant, but only for very short careers. Neuner won three overall World Cup titles in seven years, retired aged 25. Dahlmeier looked set to dominate the sport during her short career before she too retired aged 25. Other German names in the list of potential goats, Katy Wilhelm, the most decorated female Olympic biathlete, and Uschi Diesel, one of the most consistent races of the 90s and 2000s. But in amongst the German names, there is one Swede, probably the best female biathlete of the 20th century, Magdalena Forsberg. She was a cross-country skier in the 90s who switched to biathlon and won six straight overall World Cup titles before retiring. Forsberg brought raw ski speed, but she also combined it with fantastic accuracy with the rifle. Her consistency was incredible. In the 2000 season, she finished in the top 10 in 22 out of 25 races. It's interesting to think about what could have happened if Magdalena Neuner or Lara Dahlmeier had had longer careers. And it's something, along with broader discussion of gender, that will likely come up in a future episode of this podcast. The other main element to introduce at this stage is the type of races that you and I will hopefully be watching together over the coming few months. The key differences between race types are length of race, number of times that a biathlete will shoot in each position, the penalty for missing a target, and whether they're solo or relay races. 
I'm totally going to recap this in episode two as we prepare for the first races of the season, but here's a starting point. There are generally five main types of race, and there are a few variations, but this is episode one, so here's the general gist. The individual. Each biathlete starts on their own. Women race 15 kilometers, men 20. And there are four shoots, two in the prone positions, lying down, and two standing. So this is an endurance race, but it also rewards accurate shooting. The penalty for a missed target is one minute added to your race time. So you need to combine strength and endurance with accuracy. Second, we have the sprint. The sprint, as you'd guess, is a much shorter race. Seven and a half kilometers for women, 10 kilometers for men, so half the distance of the individual race. There are just two shoots, one prone and one standing. Again, you start on your own, so you're kind of racing against the clock. Here, the penalty for a miss is one lap of what's called the penalty loop which adds 150 metres to the ski distance. So every target you miss, you have to go around this additional small circuit, ski a little bit further. Sprint races can be more forgiving of bad shooting, but only if you're super fast on your skis. The third kind of race is the pursuit, and now things start to get a bit crazier. The results of the sprint race generally determine the race order for the pursuit race. So first place in the sprint sets off first, second place goes next, and so on and so forth, with time intervals dictated by your time in the sprint race. So if you win the sprint race by 20 seconds, you go first, the person who was second in that sprint sets off 20 seconds behind you, and is now going to try and chase you down. You have everyone in the same race on track, whoever gets to the finish line first wins. There are some absolute pursuit specialists who just love chasing down a leader, and you do get some thrilling races though a dominant sprint result can lead to a dull pursuit, at least at the top of the leaderboard. Men's pursuits are 12.5 kilometres and women's are 10. Four shoots, two prone and two standing, and missing a target means 150 metres on that penalty loop. The fourth type of race, more chaos, everything everywhere all at once, this is the mass start. 30 biathletes all setting off at the same time, jostling for position, elbows out. The men race 15 kilometers, the women 12 and a half, it's four shoots, and that 150 meter penalty loop for each miss. Chaos reigns. The final kind of race is the relay, which makes the solo sport into a team game. Three types of relays, men's or women's relays in teams of four, mixed relays with two men and two women in each team, and single mixed relays where one man and one woman alternate through a race distance. Again, we can get into the fun detail of relays once we're into the season. Given the strength of some nations, relays can be a bit dull, but they can also offer fantastic racing if the top teams are off form. Small but consistent nations like Canada often pop up unexpectedly on the relay podium, so it's a good way to watch biathletes you wouldn't normally see at the head of a race. So that's the introduction. What comes next? Well, this podcast will run through the 2022 to 23 World Cup season. It starts on the 29th of November, so next week, and runs through to the middle of March. I'll be covering biathlon and many topics adjacent. Psychology, physiology, war, nationhood, cheating, heroes and heroines, bureaucracy, firearms, the wisdom of crowds, momentum, cowbells, and perhaps even spandex. The World Cup biathlon season kicks off on Tuesday, 29th November, with races running through till the following Sunday. 
This first meet will be held in Contiolate in Finland. So episode two of this podcast will come out on Monday the 28th. It will include a preview of Contiolate, a bit of a spotlight on Finland, more insight on the connections between biathlon and military history, and some suggestions of biathletes to watch for at Contiolati. Um, a, a lazy viewer's guide to the whole race meet, including a recap of some of those rules that we've just talked through. And finally, what happened to Eric Kriegler? Well, he ended up fighting James Bond in a disused monastery on a Greek clifftop. Possibly a first for a former biathlete. Um, suffice to say, it didn't end well. Thank you for listening. You can find a transcript of this episode, along with links to all sorts of background information and sources at skishootrepeat.podbean.com. The music for this episode was sourced from the YouTube audio library. Please do follow us on Twitter, at skishootrepeat, and on Instagram, skishootrepeat. And please do get in touch through those social media channels uh, to tell me what's right and what's wrong. This podcast is built more on love than on knowledge, so I do expect to get fact-checked. Um, also, let me know what you'd like to hear about in future episodes. Um, I'm very happy to take this podcast in all sorts of directions um, based around the, the biathlon season, so do let me know what you'd like to hear. Thank you for listening to Ski Shoot Repeat. I've been Lizzie Boyle.